a parcel really is yeah, it? recording exactly. in the kitchen oh yes there's a nearby come you will have to put your posh voice on oh, oh there's a neighbor come it's <laughs> it's to see grandma like, <laughs> mama <laughs> put this on an accent on right yes sir lovely thank you It's a marvelous night for a moon dance With the stars up above in your eyes A fantabulous night to make romance Neat the cover of October skies You know the leaves on the trees are falling To the sound of the breezes that blow You know I'm trying to please to the calling Of your heartstrings that play soft and low This is Drifting Cloud Press and your host Gabriel Thomas Stevens, and today we have a special guest, Rodney Bruce, my granddad, and uh, this is an episode which we have titled Life of an Octogenarian. So, for those that don't know, Octogenarian is anyone who's made the monumental mark of being over 80. <laughs> welcome, welcome, granddad. Uh, yes, okay, grandson. I'm ready. Well, do you want to just tell people where, where we're at? And we're at uh, Anfield Plain in County Durham. My abode. Your abode? Yeah. How long has it been your abode for? Um, about 40 years. It's a good, good stretch of time. I, is it not? <laughs> so is 80 odd. <laughs> the four zeros. I have the four zeros, that's what I call it. 88, you're 88 yeah. years old. I thought it was quite original, I'm the only one that thought of it, four hours. Well, when you when you told me, I definitely, it took me a while to that's understand the riddle, didn't it? Yes. <laughs> I'll admit that, yes. <laughs> so, um, as we explore this, we'll be playing some music as well. Yes, lovely. And, um, yeah, I mean, where, where to begin such a long, such a long life? Let's put it like this, I'm ready to be a star, but <laughs> I just don't want it to come too quickly. Well, one step at a time. <laughs> well, I think um, a good starting point is your granddad. My grandfather. Your grandfather, because yeah. he's the but, one that... Well, he was very well educated and very intelligent. Uh, he was an artist who exhibited in the Lane Art Gallery and the Shipley Art Gallery. Um, the Lane Art Gallery is in Newcastle and Shipley Art Gallery is in Gated. Uh, he exhibited his paintings, but he would never sell a painting. Mm. So we've got one or two in our house now, which you have seen in very nice, normal paintings. But yeah, we've got one in the living room of the boats. That's, that's right. I think we've got two there. Two? What's the other one? I, I couldn't tell you. I found. I mean, they're just the paintings that he's doing. And I've just the boat. The one of the boat says. I, uh, I really, the one with the that's board. A, yeah. That's a very beautiful painting, isn't it? Oh, he, he was very talented. There's no doubt about it. 
In fact, I think I'm the only one that's missed out on the talent in the family. Well, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> but he's he's the one that got you into music. Well, well introduce you. That's right. Well, we had a, a gramophone. We lived at Pilo at the time. And we had a gramophone. His master's voice, it was. Um, that was the name of the, the gramophone. You know, it was one of the top ones, quality. And I used to play the records. When I was five years old, I used to put them on. On the old, you know, with the old pin, the needle, or whatever you wish you'd call it. On the turntable. Aye, on the turntable. Yeah. Yeah. So that was really what uh, brought me, like, the musical. I, I like music. So what, what kind of music would he Well, we started off at, he always had uh, albums of different records, uh, mainly, you know, the, um, how can I put it? Well, more old-fashioned, old though. The old the stars, the classics, yeah, that's the word I was looking for. Yeah. I find them a little bit harder to grasp now, the words <laughs> at times. No, the classics, so we had albums of, albums of them. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I used to, used to put them on, and my grandfather was always his favourite, was Enrico Caruso. Crazy. Yeah, so I used to play them records quite regular. So that was what caused me to really enjoy Caruso's voice. Yeah. And my grandfather used to tell me the story that when he, he could go on stage without a microphone and someone in the galleries, he could smash a glass with the power of his voice. Wow. So that's what I was led to believe, and I still believe it to this day. Well, I think, it, <laughs> I think it's, whether it's true or not is a different matter. Well, I, well it's, that, uh, that's it's a good story, isn't it? Right. So that was his... Uh, well, should we, well, should we play um, one of Enrico Caruso's... Uh, I would be over the moon to listen to them again. We'll play uh, O Sol Mio. Yes, that would do very fine. That would be a good start to the show, wouldn't
So you used, to be, you used to be able to hear the crackle on the gramophone, wouldn't you? But on these recordings? Yeah, on the old uh, records, you know. Yeah. Uh, it was, yeah, it was interesting. I mean, that still brings a, a little tear to me in the eye when I listen to it. Yeah. Uh, no. Does it, does a music like that carry any memories? Or? Well, nostalgia is a funny thing, as you will find out later on in life. Yeah. Say more. Uh, Say more. Well, well, it's very. You go back over your time when you were a child, which I was about five years old then. So you think back to them days, you know, and just they were happy days. We didn't have much because everything was more or less, you know, scarce. Times were hard. Was that when? So when you were five, was was that when rationing and was that what? Well, what just after that, I well. No, what period of time were we talking? Yeah, that, well, that would be the start of rationing, nineteen thirty-nine. I was I was born nineteen thirty-four, so I'd be about five years old. Uh, and things went on the ration, but even so, money was scarce. My grandfather, he worked at railroads on one of the top jobs railroads mm. and he was only on 10 shillings a week then which was supposed to be a good wage I mean I can't recollect the money at that time because I never had any <laughs> when you were five year old but what was it was like 10 shillings now if you had to like make a comparative uh... I can't really would I couldn't make that comparison because um, How can I put it? When the children didn't have any money to spend or anything like that, so I mean, a ten shilling would buy quite a bit, you know. I, got, I couldn't really tell you exactly what it would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so you're going into rationing and. I going into rationing and that, you know, you want you allowed four ounces of sweets and different things. Uh, at that time, so my recollection of that, I used to buy these uh, tablets, laxatives, because they had the little coloured beads in them, mm. which were reasonably sweet on a dark chocolate. So I think I was immune to any worms or anything like that <laughs> after that. <laughs> You mean, you mean like stomach worms? Uh, 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 stomach worms, <laughs> yeah. Because you've got them and, and them sort of times with the quality of the meat and stuff, you know, so... Ah, right, or, yeah. Or, uh, you know, and, and that, you weren't spoiled in any shape or form. So you were eating the, the laxatives because they had a bit of sugar content uh, in them? That's right. So I, I used to, when I had a or a penny to spare, I would buy because you didn't get many sweets and you couldn't really, you know. My grandfather, he wasn't uh, the more poverty in them days, mm. you know. So, any way you could earn money was good as a kid. I used to go into the cooperative stores. Uh, 
the these demon manager there called Billy Brass and he every time I went in the store he would ask us to sing a song and I would sing a song and he would give us an apple or a pear or any fruit or something that he had you know for singing a song uh, one of the songs I used to sing was um, I'm leaning on the lamppost at the corner of the street until, until a certain little lady passes by. That was George for me. Uh, and he seemed to like that one. So that, that got so sang quite a, a bit. Yeah. <laughs> so, but as I say, the reward was an apple or some, you know, that was scarce at the time because mm. everything was rationed. Yeah, so that was quite good. That was one of my means of income. How and how old are we talking there? Well, about five or six years old, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, um, my other means of income, which was maybe a year or two later, was looking up where the weddings were, and there was a at Peel where there was the, the Catholic Church and I always found that that was one of the best ones to go to when there was a wedding on because we we used to stand outside uh, waiting for them to get back into the wedding car and shout shout how you which meant any coins used to be very strong a penny or halfpenny and different coinage. In mm. uh, odd occasions there was a sixpence down there and I tell you my eyesight was that good I could spot it coming out. <laughs> I used to try and catch it before it hit the floor. Wow. So uh, that was the sort of uh, times where you lived in and when you had it and you sort of to go up the street there was a woman that she lived about half a mile away and she used to do these what, toffee apples on a Sunday mm. and uh, so you go up there and if you had a penny you could get a toffee apple you know and that was like Whoa. nectar nectar you know, I, you, I mean when you, you I mean you used to try and savour the toffee by just licking it very slowly <laughs> all the way back home how long, how long would a toffee apple last in your, in your oh, hands? I tried to make it last as long as I could. That means about two hours at least. It's <laughs> <laughs> a, a full length movie, that. Aye, well, but that, them were the days. Yeah. There were uh, different sort of times altogether. And, I mean, those are the times when we had the gas masks and there would be a message went around all the houses down mm. here. Uh, your gas mask, it, we're going to test them, right? right? Yeah, yeah. So we used to put it on and stand in the street while they came down the street. And everybody in the vicinity and were, had to be out so they could test the gas mask and see if they were still uh, safe, you know. Hmm. You should make sure they were tight enough to your face and the whole lot. So that was those sort of days, you know. 
Wow, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I remember you saying that you used to go to the cinema as well, is that right? Oh, the cinema, yeah. When when we had any money, I used to go down with them. was called the Grand Cinema. It was right beside the Catholic Church. It was a cabin, Mm. so it was quite convenient. Um, And when we got the Hollywood, which was... Penny or tuppence or whatever it was you got, you know, mm-hmm. whatever you collected, you you'd go to the grand cinema. The grand cinema, a lot of the weddings went on from nine o'clock in the morning, or maybe ten o'clock, mm. and then ten o'clock the grand cinema used to open for the matinee, Flash Gordon. Flash Gordon. And, uh, Flash Gordon was one. Emperor Ming. And those sort of uh, things, which being a kid, you enjoyed. Yeah, yeah. Right? And what would and they would they be? Would there be sound in the cinema? Was it? Oh, oh, oh I, It I, was sound at that oh, point. I, yeah. well, it wasn't the grand piano. It was still human. <laughs> <laughs> but I wasn't sure if they had introduced because I remember you saying about you know watching films and they'd be playing the piano. Oh, I not uh, but that was. We were past them days, like. Ah, right, right. Okay. Sorry, sorry for my. Uh... So everything uh, was more modern and up to date then. Yeah, yeah. You know, nobody had a television or anything, hardly, you know what I mean? So tele- televisions weren't. Well, some people would have them, but not it was Some wasn't people common. would have them, but they'd be related to the royalty or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> And so what, in the cinema, was it was it still black and white then, or was that colour? Well, it was a little black and white, but then they brought, ah, they had coloured films, aye. So, all right. Aye. But it was, the, the colour was, I can't remember what they called it, it wasn't cinematic score or something, but it was something similar to that. Yeah, yeah. And it was very, like, uh, bawdy, like, yeah, very bright. And you used, to nip out, you used to nip out and get ice creams, didn't you? Well, that was, yes, what used to happen is just before half time in the cinema that would come up, El Dorado ice creams is on sale at the kiosk. <laughs> you know? Mm. I'd have asked whatever the hour was, right? If that didn't happen all the time, but when they got them, or the occasions they got them, so everybody would get out the cinema before the uh, the film had finished half time, and then as many a time you were in the queue and you just got to the kiosk, pay threepence or whatever it was or twopence or whatever I can't remember exactly what it was for the ice cream, and they would say I'm sorry, just sold out. So you would missed about a quarter of an hour of the film, and you, don't really... and you didn't get an ice cream, so life could be disappointing. <laughs> it's a hard life, eh? Well, it was, you know, I wouldn't say it was hard, it, we, we didn't even realise it was hard. I mean, yeah. you do later on in life, like, you, you think back to them times. I mean, I, I, I mean, when I was five, I used to think Germany was over the River Tyne. I thought that was Germany. I thought they had declared war hmm. over the Tyne. So that was the sort of, you know, 
the times and then he had the big um, water tanks put up in case there was a fire wow. in certain places. That, they were about three or four foot deep, so you had to be very careful, you know, in case your kids being what they were, they would climb up and could fall in. Uh, wow. But luckily for me, I was never a water baby, so <laughs> I kept away from uh, those sort of things. But, I mean, life was what you made of it when you were a kid. Yeah, and, yeah. And sort of times. I mean, what, like, I, I mean, looking back, what's, it's so different now than to what it was? I would say everything, more or less. Yeah. I mean, kids now, they're totally, totally different. Uh, the way we were brought up. I mean, well, the similar fact of life is now, when you see policemen were respected. Mm. If a policeman came to your door, there was no innocent plea. You were guilty. Your, your mother wouldn't take your side, you know. Right. She'd automatically assume that the policeman was right and that you had done something wrong, like which is totally different now, you know, they sort of fight a corner and... Yeah, I think the, the... So, the, I think the police have lost a lot of respect in, in that circumstances. Definitely, yeah. Uh, and also, so, we, I mean, we don't know anything about rationing or, uh, you know... Rationing, well, that was just another facet of life. Yeah. You, I mean, to be quite honest, you didn't get any joints of meat unless you were well in or you were into the black market. That's what they used to say, the black market. Buy the meat. But you couldn't get it at the butchers nine times out of ten unless you were well in with the butcher. And you went in, you could have a chop or something, you know. But it was all sort of... Um, I mean, we used to think when we got a scratching off the meat joint, because a friend of mine, uh, his uh, grandmother, was always got a joint, and on Sunday after it was cooked and everything like that, mm. we used to get what we called a dip, and that was in in the the fat of the of the meat. And that oh. was that was a luxury. It was really tasty. Yeah, yeah. So that was uh, another little odd treat. You think, oh, lovely, get on there and get a dip of gravy. That was it. Oh, but it was um, very, very tasty. But you all all the moon if you got anything like that. You know, I mean, it was later on when I was about fourteen, fifteen when they used to have this shop at uh, Gateshead on, on uh, Coatsworth, wasn't Coatsworth Road, Sunderland Road, they had this, um, what they called the dip shop. And it was right beside the bus stop. Hmm. So when I was coming out the pictures at nine o'clock at night, half past nine, you could get this penny dip then. Well, it was probably a little bit dearer than that, but... What was a penny, penny dip? Well, it was just like a bone dipped in this gravy right. that had been cooked oh. with the pork and things, you know? And maybe there's a little touch of meat might be in it, 
when they dipped it, but they were lowly. I used to enjoy them mm. before I got to go back on the bus. Uh, I mean, that's mainly, uh, I mean, times were hard, but you didn't really realise that at the time. But also it sounds like, because you didn't have the, you know, it wasn't always available, that when you did have it, like the toffee apple, you really enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. I mean, sometimes it was sold out before you got there, <coughs> you know. Mm. She only did so many because she would only have so much to uh, to make the toffee with and things like that. So... Uh, and how long would you have to, it, it would it take to walk to the... The toffee stand. Oh, well, it was just in the back lane, about th three or four blocks away. That is about, well, when you had a kid, it's only f five or ten minutes at the most. Yeah, you know? yeah. So that was the story there. So even at that age, were you usually just running about by yourself or, oh, you know? You, you had to make your entertainment. <laughs> Aye. We used to have a... I mean, one of the things we used to do, we used to go, well, down to Bill Kay mainly, and there was this lad, he was a bit, uh, how can I put it, he was all right, mentally. Mm. But he used to chase with, with his bone and throw the bone at you, you know? <laughs> and mine, when it hit you, it yes. hurt. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. But uh, that, that, that was a bit of fun for us running away from him and things like that <laughs> and then suddenly he'd throw this uh, like ham shank bone at you uh, it was uh, just different little things like that it was entertaining and then there was a place called the circle mm. you know, I would say it was about uh, circumference would be maybe maybe just short of 200 yards and then we used to run around there as many times as, I mean, I used to run around there maybe a hundred times. Is it what we call diggers? They were like challenges. Mm. You know, when they said, I'll set you a digger, that was your challenge for to do whatever they asked, you know, thought was uh, good, like, you know, that they hadn't done before. Nobody's run around the circle yet a hundred times. You know, so that was, so I used to do that. I did, did that two or three times. Wait, what's, so what's a digger? Well, the digger is a challenge, like, you know. Ah, right, yeah, well, yeah. And then we used to have what called a burnie. That was a stream that ran through the gardens at Belkey, well, past the gardens at Belkey. And then we used to leap across there, off, maybe it's about, three foot, four foot high, right? And the, to leap to the other side, which was obviously uh, uh, slightly lower, mm. you know? Mm. So sometimes on occasions, when he'd, the, the bigger the digger got to you, that was the more the width that you had to jump, could fool you and you'd slip your foot in the water and things like that. It was there. Then there was a big pipe, oh, must have been three or four foot in width. Used to stretch across the burnie. It was built up on a, on this stone. And then we used to, 
it was quite a height in the middle when you got to the from one side to the other because mm. we used to go across on my hunger's like you know that's like your legs had straddled that's what we called hunger's hunkers <laughs> on your hunger's this is some good, so you had, good you Geordie uh, knowledge. Well, that's it, Geordie staying. <laughs> and then we used to go across there on the humpers to the other side. And when you got to the middle of that, it was a height. If you fell, you would. I, I mean, I'll be quite honest, I've never known anybody fall. But there wasn't that many did it. Ah, I see. You know? So. But the, well, the days when you had to make your own entertainment up and everything like that. Yeah, and it's so... Not, nothing like you now. No, no, not TVs and... Alright. If I talk too much, let us know. No, it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. Keep it, keep it coming. Alright. So a digger, a digger is someone that sets the challenge. Is that right? You, you set the digger. You set the digger. I see. Yeah. The yeah. digger is the challenge. The digger is the challenge. Aye. I got you. So we'll say to you, I'll say, yeah, digger, would you do that one, mm. you know? Mm. Go from that side to that side and leave the whole other thing. And that's, we used to do that thing. And to me, it was good. You're flying through the air and you're a kid. <laughs> so it was, it was quite uh, hardening, it toughened you up a little bit. <laughs> well, I feel like we should play uh, our next song. Um, since we're talking about the rivers, how about Old Man River by Paul? Yes, that sounds quite appropriate for this time. How do you say a second? Robbie Robertson. Paul Robertson. Robertson. Yeah. Paul Robertson. Old correct. Man River. Oh, 
Podcast has really been on your younger years, but yeah, that's correct. Or should we be? I mean, should we work chronologically further up, up the scale, or you know, to your first job? Or my first job was office boy. I got ten shillings a week. <laughs> One only Keegan Cooper. I used to be on the phone, and that. I used to say Mullen Elmer Keegan Cooper in my best voice, <laughs> which went down very well. Apparently, uh, according to Mr. McKee, who was the sort of boss, he said, "Yes, you. That's exactly lovely. Clients will love that." Which uh, I went on from there. So what? So what was that? You were you were you were called? What? Where? What did that job mean? Well, he used to do the post, the mail, right? Everything. Post mail, and yeah. you'd, you'd call people up, would you? And, and uh, not. Oh yes, you could. You know, ask you to make a call, some. But I mean, it depended on who it was. Ah, if right. It was a business firm. Yeah, yeah. I used to ring up and say, "Hang on, Mr. McKee would like to speak to you." The different uh, partners and the whole lot. Uh, the the dulcet tones of Rodney Bruce. Well, that was it. it used to wow them apparently, but <laughs> <laughs> that's only my uh, reckoning on it. <laughs> yeah, so that was that, and then I we got called up. So I was called up in the Air Force. I decided to join up just before I was called up. Because then you got the benefit of picking which branch you wanted to go into and mm. more, little, slightly more ch uh, choice of job. So I went into the RUF. I liked the colour blue and suited my skin and everything. So I, that was <laughs> that was that was one of the reasons <laughs> to be a blood cream boy. Was a a brill cream boy. That's what they used to call them, the RAF. 
right. the Brill Cream boys. Wow. So his was slick, but he used to get the Brill Cream then. It was quite thick. Have you ever used Brill Cream? Or you ever? I don't think I have. Oh, ah, right, right. Well, it's uh, like a thick white gel. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's I've used a variation of it, but I'm sure it was stronger yeah. back then. I, you probably do. Um, so I joined up then and um, I wanted to go into the radar. That's what I fancied doing. But I said I was more suited to, to clerical work, which I probably was. When you say under the radar, what do you well, mean? Well, no, join the going to the branch radar to learn about the radar and he worked in that sort of unit. Right, I see. Yeah, there yeah. was like radar unit, the whole different, um, uh, you could be a motor mechanic. Yeah, you yeah. Know? But they used to give you these little tests and I mean, they weren't very much. I, I really, you know, it was more or less a waste of time because if you'd worked, which I did in the office, you were more or less certain to be recommended to go into the clerical work, you know. Oh, I see. So if you worked in the garage, when you were called up, you'd probably be going to the, you know, motor mechanics or their unit. And that. So that, that was the way it was decided. So when he went into the forces, when you were called up, you had to serve a two-year period. So I, well, I decided to sign up for three because you got quite a lot more money, you know, then. Mm -hmm. So the, the extra year meant you weren't too badly off in the, in the, in the, in the forces. Mm. So that's why I signed on for three and eventually I signed on for four. I enjoyed it. It was a varied life and I enjoyed the bonhomie of the people that I work with. So what more can I say about I'm that? I'm sure, I'm sure you got some stories from that, well, that period of time. Oh yeah, I, I worked on a, a squadron in the officers, 43 squadron. Well, we were the first, I was stationed at RAF Lucas, which is up in Scotland. Mm -hmm. And we were the first squadron to get the new aircraft for Hawker Hunters, right? So the, the, we got, um, I think it was 12, or there might have been 20 Hawker Hunters for the squadron. And they had to fly non-stop for a thousand hours, or as many as they could keep them going, serviced. Wow. That's why they had 20. Wow. But they had them, well, they used to have a black and white check. We used to put the black and white check was a squadron emblem for 43. The fighting cooks, that's what they were known, known as. Mm -hmm. So they had, we had to fly a thousand hours. It didn't affect me as such, apart from, you know, you, you worked a little bit extra, but very, very little. But they were flying day and night. And of course, there was a there was a crash then. Um, the pilot got killed. There was two of them were flying, and they got too close to each other. Oh wow! Trying to fly that. Uh, I always remember the, the 
chap that got killed was called Flight Lieutenant Gooley. I think he was a Canadian, but I'm not too sure. But never mind, anyway, that was the sort of situation. But he still carried on, still, you know, carried on flying, even though there'd been a, a, a crash. Mm. So that they were the times that I had to fly them to make sure that they were serviceable and they were fit for battle duty and hardened off, you know, so... Well, you, you'd have to fly them? Not me. Not you? Not personally speaking, no, I was in the officers, but the pilots had to fly them. Yeah, yeah. And I had to keep a, like, a record of which, you know, the different... And so you always... Mounts of hours that they did. Uh-huh. So once they'd done a thousand hours, each aircraft had done a thousand hours, then it was clear for... And then they wanted to see exactly how it was, had performed, etc., etc. Mm. You know, so it was like signals to send off. But I uh, used to send them, depending on the, the gravity or whatever it was of the signal. Yeah, yeah. Because there was something. There was like a secret signal sometimes, which they didn't want to convey to certain people, uh-huh. which I remember. One was uh, not to divulge any information wasn't be given <laughs> to Americans because we had officer exchange from America uh. come over here for to fly our aircraft and then go back. But this information must not be conveyed to Americans. So what, so what time period is, is this? Where, where are we at now? In the well, I was uh, 19 or something, 18, 19. So you were 18, 19. You were, set, this, you, like were 19? Set, you were nearly 17 when you were called up. Yeah, yeah. So, but what, what time was it? Like nine, the 19... Well, 1934. It was 1950-odd. 1950 1951. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, and so you're always stationed up in Scotland at this point? Well, apart from doing um, sometimes when you I loved it at Lucas and I wanted to stay there as long as I could. So sometimes you've got a posting. Well, at the previous time to working in 43 Squadron, I worked in station headquarters. Mm. Uh, I got promoted and I was a corporal. Right, and they had decided I'd be posted somewhere else. So I put in for a detachment, you know, for the doing a, a course. So you you go on a course, and actually that's how I got any calls uh, going on a course down to Hereford. Right. Uh, <clears throat> but it was. Um, yeah, it was a funny sort of... I mean, I got an, another what detachment. Sorry, I think that's a grandma's uh, iPad coming through there. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> um, I got a detachment up to a place called Drone Hill. Mm-hmm. That's up near Berwick. Now, that was a secret radar station, right? I had about 40 or 50 policemen patrolling it with dogs, mm. you know, uh, and 
the number of people up there, there was a, a flight lieutenant was in charge of me and that base, because it was right up on this hill, Drone Hill. Um, and there was these big masts and the whole lot, like, you know. And we couldn't get up, we could only get off the, the camp once a week, what they used to call the Liberty Run, right? And they'd take me down to Berwick, and then they'd pick me up at 10 o'clock or whatever time it was that set for you, mm -hmm. to bring you back to camp. So we were up in the Drone Hill, you know, for to try and, if I tried to prevail what the situation was up there, <laughs> there was only a handful of men, which were mainly radar, you know, you know, specialists. So on the night, the only thing we could do was go to the Nuffy Light and have a, a drink, because uh, you couldn't get off the camp. You were there for the six days a week. Yeah, yeah. So, needless to say, a little novelty was the challenge needed go up this mast <laughs> a certain way. It was quite a height. Well, what, what are we talking? I don't know, but I know we got the top. I <laughs> <laughs> no, I know we got the top. Um, I remember climbing up, and I might, might have been about 40 foot up or something like that. And it was foggy. Whoa. I was okay. No bother, I can't see the bottom. Right, yeah. But then the fog lifted quite suddenly, and I seen the bottom, and I realised how high I was. <laughs> and even with a couple of bottles of brown ale in this, I still wasn't there. <laughs> I still wasn't happy with the situation. I thought, I've got to get down here. My legs were trembling, a whole lot. Anyway, though, apparently the, the people at the challenges were quite satisfied <laughs> with my performance <laughs> and bravery. Well, I'm not sure. <laughs> so that was that. And, and the other time was I missed the, what we called the detached, the lorry that used to pick us up. Mm. And there was two of us who missed it because we'd had a few drinks like in Berwick. And we couldn't remember where we were getting picked up. So that was the situation there. So <laughs> I had to walk back. Oh, wow. Uh, it's quite a few miles to get to Drone Hill. But luckily, uh, we managed, because it was pitch black and the whole lot, there was no lights on the roads there, that them sort of times. And so we flagged a lift down on one of these lorries. And he said, oh, I'm going past it. He said, I'll drop you as near as I can. I said, that's lovely, the two of us. So, and we were going to lift back to the bottom. And then we had a good walk mm. and it's a good climb up the Drone Hill. Uh, and then with all the police dogs and the whole lot, we got like pulled in straight away as soon as we got within the vicinity of the camp. Mm -hmm. uh, but when we were in Berwick, which I missed out of the story, we called in the, the barracks, the army barracks there, to see if we could get bed 
and breakfast right, right. and get lift back in the morning. And we were given a refusal and said, no, we're not doing it. So anyway, when we got back to camp and I had to explain to the flight lieutenant what the situation was, he said, I said, he said, well, why didn't you stop us, you know, somewhere? I said, well, we refused admission to the army barracks. Mm, mm. So he said, you were. So he immediately picked the phone up and got on to the barracks and give them a little, uh, what I'll call a bollocking. <laughs> so that was more or less everything smoothed over. He didn't charge was charge me or the lad at all. He said, oh, I understand. I said, oh, I missed it. And I told him the truth. I said, I just couldn't remember where the pickup point was, you know? Because it was the first time we went in, mm. you know? Ah, oh, I see. The first time we'd used it. Yeah, yeah. It's called the Liberty Run. The Liberty Run. Uh, that's it sounds like a lot of these stories start with a few bottles of brown ale. Not, not really. <laughs> I, might, I might have finished up that way, but you know, it, it good times and, and interesting times. And I uh, did a detachment to, we did a one to Belgium. I was in, from the Hooker Holland, we sailed from the Hooker Holland. It was like an exercise, actually. Uh, we, you were told to do that. Mm -hmm. You didn't get any option. So you had, you had to get to Belgium? Yeah, you had to go. Well, it wasn't just the Belgium, it was like a sort of secret detachment. You got on the, we got on the boat at the Hook of Holland and sailed. And then we went through, was it, I can't remember exactly. But anyway, we went through Belgium. Mm -hmm. We had a stop in Belgium. We stopped at this uh, barracks in Belgium. And there I got to know uh, one of the uh, Belgian officers, not officers, but he was in the Belgian army. Yeah, yeah. So he gave us quite a few good ideas. When you say good entrepreneurial? Well, yes, yeah, yeah, so you can say that. <laughs> I can't say the word now. But I was told before we went into Belgium. Yeah. But to get as many cigarettes and save as many cigarettes as you could because you were allowed 140 a week on your ration. Well, yeah. 140, 140 cigarettes. Not packets. No, no, not packets. <laughs> would have, I would have been a millionaire. <laughs> so there were like 20, there were 10s and 20s, whatever, I don't know. Mainly 20s and um so I just saved them up. I wasn't, I, I used to have a smoke now and then, but it didn't have a hold of us at all, you know, it didn't bother us if I had one. I used to like one now and then when I had a drink. So never mind, he said, don't forget if you take these cigarettes into Belgium. This was what we got told when we were staying in Germany. Yeah. Take, take them into the... Well, we weren't staying in Germany then, like in Holland. So when I got to Belgium, you used to just, when you went, there was they were what they called nightclubs. 
Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, we were all always in our uniform because we were on exercise. And he used to get into the nightclub, he used to just pack a, pack a cigarette over, and I got you in the nightclub and used to get you four drinks. On on the on the bar? Aye. Because of the, the bar. If you go them and they handed them in. So cigarettes were pretty rare in in Belgium. They loved it. They loved English cigarettes. Oh, it was the it was specifically because they were English cigarettes, was it? Well, were, were they rationed cigarettes well, there? Well, they are just like English cigarettes. I mean, ah, I, I don't know. I'll be quite honest. I don't know if they were rationed or they are not. So they had their own cigarettes, maybe, but oh yeah, but the English ones. I were. think it was the captains and players and. The, the good branch, you know, which they couldn't get a hold of. Ah, I see. So they went down a bomb over there. You didn't have to pay for any drinks. Plus, I mean, the amount of money that we got for a pound was good, mm. you know? So So what was it there still? Euros? Was it euros still? Oh, no, time? it wasn't euros. Um, I forget now, to be quite honest. But, but the exchange rate was good. Yeah, well, we're only there two days or three days. Yeah, yeah. And then we're going to Germany. Uh-huh. But in the meantime, when I was clubbing on the night time, I met one or two Belgium people in the, in the forces. So they said, that I'll give you a bit of advice. You're going to Germany, aren't you? Buy some coffee here. Take it into Germany. Go and get coffee in Germany mm. at that particular time. It's very hard to get, and I love it. So uh, I only myself with a few jars uh, <laughs> of coffee, and I went into Germany, and you could get any amount of money. You got quite a bit of money for the coffee. I wow. can't remember you know, exactly what it was. But I'll put it this way. If I'd stopped there, I could have been a millionaire by, by now, <laughs> on, the, on the black market. <laughs> so that was the story there. Yeah, quite the entrepreneur. Right. And then we were in like, we were in field tents, and I was with the officer in charge of all the booze and things. That's pretty good. That's convenient, well, isn't it? Very good. All the spirits from the. How did you manage to get that? Well, it was the officer's mess. Well, because I was a Clark GD and I was caught with Clark GD. Right, right. So that was general duties. I covered all the branches. Uh-huh. So I was quite, according to the RAF, I was quite capable to do anything, pay anything, you know, just on where you were put. Yeah, yeah. So there was a flight lieutenant that was in charge of the where I was. Right? I mean, I was just doing that signal. I mean, we only took there two days. We were in the tents and we heard this thing going over the top. It was an aircraft. And we, da 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 da. The next thing I got a signal to say we'd been wiped out. You know? So we're no longer in the exercise. So I had a couple of two or three days to spare. So when you say wiped out, what do you mean? Well, they just... They didn't need you or... No, well, what they say is the opposing two sides, I forget who was, we were with another air force. Mm. And there was like two air forces 
Well, the poor students, you know, it was like the sort of mock battle. Yeah. There's no bullets fired or anything like that. Well, they'd gone across anyway, discovered where we were. And we got wiped out. So that was that. No longer anything to do. But we had to wear, um, wrap up all the spirits, etc., etc. Officers. So the flight lieutenant said, if you want anything, you can buy it, you know, like cost price. I think it was seven and six a bottle or something like that. It was, yeah, it yeah. was quite cheap anyway. Yeah. So I got a few bottles, about six or seven bottles of the spirit, and bought them with me black market money. <laughs> I. So that was one of those, those stories. It was, it, this was a very life. I, I loved it. But, I enjoyed what, it. So, because, uh, like, excuse my ignorance, but so you, we had World War. So, like, World War Two would have ended 1939, 45. Yeah. Around that, and, and you're saying this is what the 50s. So, what was all the training for? Was that like because well, of the, still, still st training. It's still going on. Aye. Was it because with the Cold War sort of. Was well, it, it was what they were called war. Yeah. Because I was on um, a Anthony Eden, what was it again? I'm just trying to bring it to mind. I just left the Air Force when the Suez Canal ah, yeah. crisis. Yeah, yeah. So that was on, yeah, that was him, wasn't it? I was on um, out of the Air Force then, mm. but I was sort of could be called back up, mm -hmm. you know. I forget what they called it now. It was some uh, uh, special name that you were in, like this demarcation, not demarcation, but it was something similar to where you could be called up. So mm. the next thing I knew, came through the door with a, a ticket, train ticket, up to Scotland. If I was needed, I was going to be informed it was all prepared for to go and uh, go up to Scotland and fly from Scotland out of the Suez thing, basically. Uh, but it never happened anyway, so they cancelled that. That was one of the, the benefits of it. Anthony Eden, was it, he was, it was quite a short, short term as Prime Minister, wasn't it? So was it Anthony Eden? Uh, uh, I think it was Anthony Anthony Eden, when the Suez Crisis. Yeah, that sounds about right. the Suez Crisis. Yeah. I mean, names uh, go by as, you know, now, trying to recollect what happened, and it's probably one or two of them will be slightly out of Kilda, like, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. Anthony Eden, yeah. Prime Minister for the, of the Conservative Party from 1955 yeah. until 1957. He was the one that looked a little bit like James Bond, didn't he? Uh, that was it. That was the time, roughly the time. Well, I'd just been, I was roughly 21, 1934, 1955. I'd just been, got out of the forces then, mm -hmm. roughly that time. Ah, right. So that's made us like sort of. Um, when you 
I, I can't remember the name of the, the thing. When you volunteered, you volunteered to do this for three years. You were on call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you got so much, I forget what it was, for doing it, like, you know. You, you, for the three-year commitment. Uh, for the three-year commitment. Yeah. So that was why I did it, more mainly for the money. But apart from anything else, I enjoyed it anyway. If, yeah, it sounds been, like you had some good, good stories. Sent, yeah, so that would have been good. It was just another experience. Another another thing on your belt. Yeah. Well, I think we should. Um, we've got we've got a nice selection of music that we can play from. Right. Um, we've got a bit more. We could play a bit more Crusoe. We could play some uh, Pavarotti, uh, Van Morrison, and some Judy Garland. Well, I think it's. Uh, Van Morrison time. It's Van Morrison time. Yeah. We got uh, Moon Dance or Brown Eyed Girl. I like Brown Eyed Girl, but I like Moon Dance as well. So well, we'll play. We'll play on both, but we'll, we'll start off with Brown Eyed. Right, you are lowly. Shut up. 
the uh, Brown Eyed Girl by Van Morrison. Yes. I have to say that this playlist is all curated by my granddad. Uh, fine selection of music you got going, yeah. So what, what made you put Van Morrison in there? What? Well, it's only the tunes I like. And the, the singers that I, I, well, that's what I admire. I mean, that's why I put um, Crusoe. Yeah, classic. And I like Pavarotti, which I think we may be yeah, playing later on. <laughs> we got that coming up next. Well, uh, well, uh, I sort of got a little bit of a choice here, you know. <laughs> so, I wasn't expecting being a celebrity, but since I'm here now. Well, never, ne best late than never, right? I like a little bit of me own way. <laughs> so, well, I hope, I'm sure our audience is enjoying the well, the, the Geordie so. Lilton. I, I hope so. The stories. I, I'll not be saying autographs or anything like that. <laughs> it's, it's only certainly <laughs> nothing arduous. Or we tedious. haven't we haven't sent we haven't um, you know declared where we're where we're actually recording location wise, so we don't get any love letters through the the post oh, yeah. no, well, I, hope, I hope not <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not for my sake <laughs> so, so I think it was days oh, uh, those yeah aye. well maybe that's as the life of an Oxcanarian I think aye. well that's what happens you have your day and then you still feel slightly and I mean, what, what, like, as, as an, as an octagonarian, what, what kind of advice, you know, we, you know, we've got the war in Ukraine and there's a lot going on, isn't there? There is, yes. You know, what, yeah, what, what's your thoughts on... Well, I think it's shameful what Putin's doing and what he's doing. Mm. So, um, but having said that, I mean, what Boris Johnson did... I mean, everybody knew he was a villain, or the Conservative Party should have known that he was a wrong one for the start off, <laughs> uh, because he'd lied and done it before. Yeah, we got and, the... And then he, this is just my personal opinion, he sold the Irish down the river with the agreement that he made with the EU mm. for Brexit. So, I mean, when you look around here, there's not a, a there are quite a few scoundrels leading countries. So that's my opinion. Yeah, I mean, we, I think we got the the leaders we we Aye. deserve really. Uh, well, exactly, exactly. What that's life? He's got a little bit of a silver tongue and the babyish boys and things, and goes on like a little. Little Dolly Bear, and that <laughs> but that's just my opinion anyway. But yeah, so I feel like what? When was the time you started becoming a you know bookie and? Oh well, was that that post? came that came later. I, that's I, later. I worked at the gas board when he came out the forces. So you the, did your three years. You did your three years at four, the gas. I did. Oh, four. you did four in the end. Yeah. Right. Saying that next year. Because I enjoyed it that much. Yeah, yeah. In fact, when I left the Air Force, it was a bit of a bind because you were that used to camaraderie and the people with you all the time and having a drink with about eight or nine 
people, you know, we, we were all friends and that, and good company. And he got a good laugh, he got some good jokes told and the whole lot, so it was quite uh, entertaining. And um, what can I say? I, I missed it when I came out. Mm. Uh, but it must be nice to have also the structure. Well, yeah. I know it is, and it? well, it, I mean, to be quite honest, I was, when I was in the forces, I spent my time trying to plan my way out of parades and things like that. I tried <laughs> to make it as easy for myself as I possibly could. Mm-hmm. But that was the way I, my mind worked. You wouldn't have it any other way, would you, Grandad? No, ch- no, church parades and that I didn't care for. Yeah, yeah. And uh, being on the square on a Saturday morning wasn't my cup of tea, especially if it was cold. <clears throat> so, so at the time I was corporal in charge, so I used to go to the corporal's club. We had a couple's club waiting for the group captain coming around to inspect the couple's club. I used to take him on the couple's club, showing him everything was spick and span and everything was up to date. <laughs> Corporal Stevens had done a good job, <laughs> which I, I had nothing to do with it. But never mind, anyway, that was, uh, th- those were good days and th- things like that. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. And it was the point of just beating the system which appealed to me. You've always been a bit of an outlaw. Well, I wouldn't say no, a Buddha. A rebel. It's just to try and get through life as easy as you possibly can. <laughs> is, that, is that one of the keys to longevity, would you say? Possibly. I possibly. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, you've got to keep your brain working all the time. Yeah, that's it. You don't beat the system unless your brain is working quite quickly. Because I mean, you, you, you've had, you know, you haven't exactly had a, a vegan diet and, you know, no, no, you haven't no. been watching your calories, but no, no, you're fit no. and healthy now, aren't you? You see, when I was um, there, I got myself on the committee for the food, so I had a say, we had a say in the sort of food we've got. You know, if there was any complaints, well, I used to make a few complaints, <laughs> and then they would sort of try and all your diet and give you a little bit, you know, more comfort. Yeah. Like, would there's not enough chips, or the menu hasn't got enough chips for the week. Uh huh. Only get chips once a week. No good, so I complained. You put your complaints in it. Yeah, of course, it was. Of course, it was potato chips that you put your complaint in for. Well, it was one of the ones I remember. <laughs> Some uh, things never change. He, the the chap in charge of the the cook, yeah, you know that place. He was a woman else, but he had to listen to your complaints, and once you put them, because they were all written down, or somebody wrote them down when you were there. There was about four or five from different, there was three squadrons, 151, travel two, yeah. and 43 squadron. So there was one from each of them for a start. And then there was one, one from station headquarters, which I was possibly was then, 
But uh, I mean, uh, maybe this wasn't the time. But I, you know, I've heard stories that you'd eat, you know, eat chop and chips for for breakfast, or mm. you'd have a steak. Oh, I, I used to. Well, I got well in with a couple, a chap called Corporal Mackenzie, who was in charge of the cookhouse. So, at times when I came back slightly inebriated, on a night, he used to say, "Just call down and tell him." Corporal McKenzie, you know. So I had a sort of uh, system going there where I could call and get two or three steaks cooked for us. Ah, yeah. Take them back to the Corpus Club so they'd be quite honest, quite popular. <laughs> and that was the sort of situation, but it was sort of run like really very friendly situation. And yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't do. Well, but you, so you, you know, but you, you, you've eaten steak and chips and you you know, you've had, you know, you've a few brown ales. So what, do you think it's the walking that's kept you, kept you going to 88? How, how, how have you kept so strong and fit, do you reckon? Is it the exercise or? Beating the system. <laughs> that's it, beating the system. I, I would think that would be the main cause. Because your blood's always working, your brain's always working all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I, I like walking, so, and I like that you know, being fit. I mean, I've always kept myself fit, reasonably fit. Yeah, I mean, you mean some people might say you're a terrible lie, <laughs> but I tried to tell it the way I see it. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, you 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 still walk quite a fair few distant miles. Oh, even, yeah, I even can still now, do really. quite a few. I mean, you, I've had you about once or twice. We walked to Durham. Yeah, we walked Durham. Uh, from Anfield Plain and walked to Chesley Street. Yeah, I've seen you shout, shout at bicyclists. Cyclists. Cyclists. Well... You got a personal vendetta the, for cyclists. Yes, so. well, the, the spoiler walk. <laughs> Definitely the one there. Uh, <laughs> I'll never forget I walked to Durham. Oh, goodness gracious me. <laughs> every, every cyclist passed by. I was sick of dodging bikes. <laughs> no, I'm no good at all that for me. No, that wasn't my style at all. It's uh, a nice walk when you got the fresh air around you and you know the quietness of the countryside. And, mm. and you've always, you've always been a keen golfer. I was a keen golfer. Oh, yeah, 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 I used to love me golf. Yeah, without a doubt. But I've always kept myself, tried to keep reasonably fit. Possibly the drink took its toll over the period of time. <laughs> well, I feel like that's the, that's the key, really, isn't it? Just using, you know, I, not, not, not enough exercise. People don't get enough exercise now. That's right. Everything in, I, I wouldn't say everything in moderation, but because uh, I couldn't uh, boast of that. Uh, but to know when to stop. Yeah. And to know when you've had enough. That's yeah. Two or three times I, I didn't know. But I learned by my mistakes when I either slipped down or picked yourself up. But that was very rare. <laughs> that was very rare. I tried to avoid anything like that, but it's just one of them things. See so you finished so you had the four years. That'd be four years, yes. Yeah, and then what, what followed what followed that? Well, when I came out, 
the government was um, more or less, you know, under obligation to find you a job. Right. But never mind anyway. Um, as soon as I came out, I got a job at the gas board, Northern Gas Board. Um, so it was quite a good job. But, I, you know, there wasn't enough hours in a day. Right. I used to do these, um, give the, the um, inspector the jobs that I used to get off the phone. And then I had to give them so many jobs for the plumber or whoever that was. Mm. Um, the universal man that was like the labourer. And the, and the, and the yeah. used to be the, the people in going out. So I used to give this in, the inspector, because there used to be an inspector for different areas of Newcastle and Gateshead. And I was with Gateshead and Newcastle, parts of Newcastle, Westmoreland Road and all down that way, Westgate Road. And uh, Swallow away. Hmm. So he used to give the jobs to the inspector. The inspector used to delegate his stuff with his, the work that would give them. Because obviously it could only carry so much work out. So there's only so much jobs allocated. And then if they had a, what would be, we would call like, a job where there was a problem, mm. they would ring in, and then we would put like pen the job, wait and see what the inspector, because they weren't always in contact with each other, right. and, yeah. and then sort the work out again. So it was it wasn't wasn't a complicated job. I mean to be quite honest, he used to go in. I think it was eight o'clock. It could have been nine o'clock. I, I couldn't particularly remember when we started, but roughly about that time, I think it might have been nine o'clock. Uh, the clerical side, he'd just go to your desk and you wound up with a, a chap like mine was called Mr. Gowan. And I was like, another girl worked across the table from me. She was doing the same sort of work, etc. And then there was two inspectors sat at the little uh, table on your desk-like sort of business and that was it but by the time normally I'll be finished about 11 o'clock after giving the jobs out and doing whatever I had to do mm. and Mr Gowan said just get some papers in your hand and look as though you're busy <laughs> right so I used to go out and just float around <laughs> the offices in different places. And there was a snooker room upstairs where we could go. Yeah. You know, for when we went for our meals, because you could get your meals on the premises there. Uh, so I used to go and have a little bit of practice for 20 minutes on the snooker table. So I got quite adept at playing snooker. And anyway, I played it before. So, so you, that, you that were playing snooker when you were meant to be technically at work? Well, 
I was at work. You were, you were at work. I, I was at work. <laughs> but that was the instruction. I mean, there, there just wasn't enough work. But that was the way they created jobs when he came out of the forces. Wow. You know? It's amazing that, because it's just uh, so different I, to oh, now, uh, isn't it? It's just... Oh, exactly. I mean, that was, that, that was the other times. Like, I mean, the, the peace time, everything was sort of totally different. Well, I mean, I was in like war time. Yeah. I was never yeah. in the forces in wartime. But there was lots of little, you know, things going on in the world, so you always were like, you were always wide awake of, you know, and things people on call for certain jobs if they weren't necessary. You'd be, going to the, you'd be going to the sneaker halls and... Uh, well, that, uh, it wasn't a snooker hall, I mean, it was upstairs in the premises in the gas board. Ah, but I it see. was it was where you got your if you went up for a meal. Yeah, yeah. And you you had your meal in the canteen. The the room was right on the side, so you could just go up there. But I used to go before the meals, obviously, because it was only half past ten, eleven o'clock. I was, that's, that's, I'm all that's finished. And then well, you'd be done for the day, so to speak. More or less done for the day. Wow. I'll have to look around and try and find some work, you know, but uh, <laughs> that, that was the situation. But as I say, they had to private, more or less provide work for you when he came out of the forces. Yeah. So it was always a job for you. Yeah, yeah, wow. You know? Uh, what more can I tell you? Um, that was my life at the gas board, apart from when I got to put up the wages. Uh, so had you, had you met when had, when had you met Anne? Ah no, that was after that, after the gas board. After the gas board, so uh, where where were well, you? Well, it was during the gas board, just before I, I, I'll be leaving the gas board. So that was the situation there. So you're still quite young at this point. Oh yeah, I was only twenty, uh, twenty. Six or something, 25, 26. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was enjoying life and it was good. And, and I met your mother, or my mother, well, my wife, <laughs> my grandmother, uh, your old grandmother. And of course, the frivolity stopped a little bit, but <laughs> no, it's uh, possibly the best thing that ever happened to us. So I'm how, not, how old are you? Were I'm, you? Not, I'm not sure I listen to this broadcast, so... <laughs> <laughs> Even if How old was I? I was 26 when I got married, I think. 26? Yeah. And Anne was what? 1959, I'm 34. Well, roughly 25. Right. 25 and a half, roughly. Possibly. <laughs> around that time. Yeah, around about that time. And I met your grandmother when I was up at Amble in the caravan holiday with two of the lads from the gas board. We took a caravan up there. Yeah. And uh, I always remember I said to them, whatever happens, no women. We are out to enjoy ourselves and have a good time. Different places, because and we went to different places around, you know, which weren't too far away, maybe 40 minutes in a bus. Mm -hmm. 
and went to different like little clubs in different places. Mm. I said, whatever happens, no, no women. So the next thing I knew, there was a, the lad I went with was one was Brian Tibbet. I'm trying to think of the other one, Ronnie. I just kind of think it bring his name back to mind now. So they actually met Anne before I met her. Right. Aye. And uh, I like to think naturally it's just seen me. <laughs> <laughs> but that's only what I like to think. <laughs> no, uh, I met her. Yeah, she's. She was quite smart and everything, like, you know, good looking and, but nevertheless, I wasn't too keen on, how can I put it? I was up with the lads and it was like a lads holiday, so that was yeah. what made me in, with being in the forces previous, I had every intention of just enjoying Life the way it had been before. Whatever things, that's, things change. Uh, these things change anyway. Good long story short. <laughs> uh, I got married and I had a little bit of money which my mother had given us anyway for the start. So I bought my own house. And is it this uh, this is but where was this? Westerhope. Westerhope, yeah. So I went up there. So you could, what, what could you buy a house for? What was at that time? Well, it was £2,500. Wow. But it was only about, it had only been built about a year and a half. Right. When we bought it, so it was reasonably new. Yeah, yeah. Had a garage on and everything like that. And so... So I remember you telling stories of putting up the, was it the curtains or the... Oh, the curtains, oh, well, it wasn't that, <laughs> it was a, a, a granny telly, but it was like a board that went round the top of the... Yeah, is the, it where you put the screws in or the... Yeah, well, I forget what they call it now, um, <laughs> but it was like a springy board anyway. I got the new off the lad at the gas board when the inspector saw how to do it. He said, all you do is you tap the ceiling and find out where it's solid. And that's where you drill into. What you drill into there and put the screw in. That's uh, the place to put the block. Because you had to put like, I think it was like two or three. There might have been four blocks. Or there might have only been two. I can't remember now. But never mind. So I said, uh, yeah, Granny, at the time, I said, I'll stand on here, I'm going to find out where these things... Well, to be quite honest, it all sounded the same to me, but there was one or two couple of spots which did sound a bit different. Mm -hmm. I said, well, that, that's where I'm going to put the blocks. So I went up and stood on the window ledge, stood up here and didn't put the two blocks in. Then I got the curtain rail, it, it was not, well, not a curtain rail, I forget what they call it.
but it was like um, this springy wood yeah. that you bent into place and ran it round in a circle until you got the other side and put it in. So I climbed up, I got the two blocks in and then I got the curtain around the thing to go around uh, and I said to your grandmother, if you stand on there, the other part of the window ledge further on, and just hold it while I put it into the, nail it into the, into these blocks of wood. So it was getting on because I wasn't uh, very clever with any sort of manual job or anything. Yeah wood or anything, to be quite honest. <laughs> so it was about, it would be about half past ten, something like that. And she was standing on the, on the ledge and I was not in the first one. I just got the first one in, in the block. I says, oh, good job this. And suddenly <laughs> she stepped down off the window ledge and the next thing these two blocks of wood shot out the ceiling with plaster <laughs> attached to them. <laughs> uh, so there was a few swear words. I said, you better get out of sight or I'll kill you. <laughs> More or less. Words of that effect anyway. Which immediately scuttled upstairs out the road. <laughs> so I finished up opening one of the little windows, putting the other end through where she would have been holding it which I wish I'd thought of it in the first place. It might have saved us a bit of trouble. Anyway, I eventually got it up. It stayed up, but I left there anyway, so it couldn't have been too bad a job at the finish. No, no. But, uh, <laughs> that, was your first, that was your first house, and uh, then, then you moved here, isn't that right? I moved here and you've been sold the house. Yeah, and you've been uh, here for 40-odd years. I said. didn't tell you about the experience, so... Your granny was young when she was only 18 when we got married. So I went west of Hope. I just put the bed up, right? We'd come back off our honeymoon and I'd, I'd put the bed up when we came back. I thought, I, well, not being the most handy man, I did put the bed up. <laughs> anyway, all I remember is I had this lovely piece of meat joint of beef. Mm. I said, oh, we'll have that for us on the lunch. Anyway, unbeknown to me, she put the meat in the oven on, on Saturday night and she forgot to turn the gas off. So, we'll just come back off our honeymoon, mm -hmm. you know, we're tired like we'd be in the Holy Island and that. And next thing I know, we gets in the bed. Well, her side of the bed collapsed. <laughs> <laughs> so it was on like a ski slope. Yeah. But I wasn't so much bothered because she was on the bottom. <laughs> so, so I sort of left her there overnight. <laughs> overnight and said, you'll be okay. So when we got up in the morning, she so you, said, didn't, you didn't fix the bed? 
No, no. <laughs> I was too tired. I said, uh, um, well, I, I must have made a bad job of putting it up anyway. <laughs> so, nevertheless, to cut a long story short, I gets the good news. She'd left the meeting in the oven overnight. So instead of having to join the beef, I had a chop. And I can tell you, it was hard. <laughs> but I was so determined to have this meal. Yeah. I said, right, yeah. okay. So sitting at the table, and I put this chop on the plate. Next thing I said, where's the gravy? Well, just hang on. Here's the gravy. She'd put an Oxford cube in a jug and poured hot water on it. I said, gravy? That's not gravy. I said, get your coat on, we're going down to me mother's. <laughs> Wait, is this, is this before the bed collapsed or the night? No, oh, that was on the morning after <laughs> the night collapsed. So it was an auspicious start of our honeymoon. Um, after we came back anyway from our honeymoon. Yeah, so, you, so, so that was the situation there. You took, you took her over to your mother's? I took her down to my mother's. I said, for Christ, sure, how can I need gravy? I can't live <laughs> at this rate. I ate the chop, by the way. I had indigestion for about three months. <laughs> but I was determined to have it. I mean, I thought, oh my God, what, so what, I, what was it? Was what, it really? What have I let myself in for? Yeah, I all got, oh my God. But here you are, what, it's been 60 odd years now. 60 odd years. And I still get indigestion. <laughs> no, she's, she's a good cook now. I, I, I actually blame myself for that. You blame yourself for that? Uh, teaching her these little things. Yeah. Do you think, do you think it was, um, you know... Passed on from me, me mother. Yeah, but do you think it was consequential, you know, that the bed collapsed and then you got a, a hard stake in it? Uh, well, I don't know. I think it was sort of warnings. Cause and effect. I think it was a warning yeah. of what was to come. Yeah. But, uh, I don't know what where this has anything in relation to, but I remember, what about the story about the light bulb? Do you remember that story? The light bulb? The light bulb, you know, putting the light bulb in the... Almost having a heart attack, I can't. Don't recall that. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, I, maybe I probably, probably burnt myself or something on a. I can't mind that now. Of course, your memories are sort of sometimes are slightly coloured as you get older. Of course, yeah. And not always according to Hoyle. <laughs> Well, I think we're, I mean, we're, we're almost towards the end here, so I think we'd... Uh, well, well, I'll tell you what, it's been an interesting life when I hear it back again. It has, yeah, that's right. the life of an octogenarian. Oh, goodness gracious me. There's more to it than meets the eye. Look at me. <laughs> I nearly got excited. I think, <laughs> I think this is a good time to sit, to put on Louis Armstrong. Louis Armstrong. Oh. Gone fishing. Very good, I like that, yes. That's a, that's a good way to uh, finish this chapter. Uh-huh. Yeah. What's your place? You gone fishing? Ah, oh, you know. But well, there's a sign upon your door. Ah, uh -huh. gone fishing. I'm real gone, man. 
<laughs> you ain't working anymore. Could be. There's your hole out in the sun where you left a row half done. You claim that hoeing uh, ain't no fun. But I can prove it. You ain't got no ambition. Gone fishing. By a shady, weighty pool. Shangri-La. Really like. I'm wishing I could be that kind of fool. Shall I twist your arm? I'd say no more work for mine. Welcome to the club. On my door I'd hang a sign. Gone fishing. Instead of just a wishing. Papa Bing, I've stopped by your place a time or two lately, and you aren't home either. Well, I'm a busy man, Louie. I got a lot of big deals cooking. I was probably tied up at the studio. You aren't tied up, you dog. You just, just playing old gone fishing. There's a sign upon your door. Oh, don't blab it around, will you? Gone fishing. Keep it shady. I got me a big one staked out. Mm, you ain't working anymore. I don't have to work. I got me a piece of Gary. Cows need milking in the barn. I have the twins on that detail. They each take a side. But you just don't give a darn. Give four bits of cow and hand lotion. You just never seem to lie. Man, you taught me. You ain't got no ambition. You're convincing. Gone fishing. Got your hound dog by your side. That's old Cindy Lou going with me. Gone fishing. Pretty much near the end here. We've got 10, 10, 15 more minutes, really. But well, don't write me off too early. <laughs> I think we've got some catching up to do because we're only we're only in your mid twenties. Yeah. <laughs> I've had a good life. Yeah, you have. You don't want us to tell you the rest, surely. <laughs> no, but I suppose. I mean, I've always. Uh, Remembered you guys, you know, with the bookies job and the horses. That's oh, that's filled a lot oh, of your oh, life, hasn't it? Oh yes, I love it. I've always loved it, and I've been very lucky in life. I've always worked very job I've enjoyed, which very few people can can say. Say yeah. So I've had a very happy life. I couldn't say any other. Hasn't in been fact, so extremely lucky. Hasn't been so hard after all. You could say. I just like to think it is, or was. <laughs> is there no, any, no, no. any stories you'd, you'd like to leave us with, or that, that jump to mind, any good hey, mischievous? gracious me, there's that many. If you'd give us a little bit more time, I might have cut me repertoire of the day, but ah, unfortunately well. it was sprung on me this morning. The cloth has been cut the way it has, oh, yeah, you isn't were, it? You're sharp on the ball. <laughs> You know, I might charge you later on. Got <laughs> to this point. Well, we started recording at ten o'clock, and now it's what, twelve, nearly twelve, and we'll, in oh. true fashion, we'll be having uh, chop and chop and chips. I tell you for what, lunch. I must admit, uh, I want to finish the two hours. 
I don't want to run short. Oh, we won't do that. Don't worry. <laughs> we wouldn't. That's, that's not your style, Grandad. No, well, the repertoire is wide as far as the music's concerned. It is. You cast. Yeah, you cast the net wide. I'll be quite honest. I think, you know, listeners will be enraptured with my my choice. I know. Enraptured is uh, the right word for I your, would, your selection so. of. Uh, I would think so. Yeah, if there's anyone dislikes this selection, I would like to know who it is. Well, yeah, I mean, please send in a. Send it's in not a, finished yet. Send in an email or uh, uh, comment on Spotify. <laughs> Spotify. Uh, <laughs> nothing technical, please. Nothing technical, no. no, no, no. It's hard enough trying to keep up with that. Well, you do well enough. I mean, you put you you got put your bets on at the, at the races oh I love, I love I love horse racing I love greyhound racing yeah. in fact I like any sort and of you have an iPad I have an iPad where I can get the results up <laughs> and curse anything anything to follow the, uh, the sports oh yeah I'm a keen Newcastle United supporter and uh, magpies I must mention yes you're coming on a turn yeah uh, you've even learned that the slogan, the magpies. I'm more of a crow, though. I think I've gone. Uh, the crow. <laughs> yeah, I've gone sideways. I call you when I tell things, but not that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you always used to tell me stories of the crow, would you not? Oh, I love the black crow. The black crow. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I remember hiding in the cupboard, scared of the black crow coming. Ah uh, well, the stories were good. The stories were yeah. good. Yeah, I used to tell them. To you and your grandma in bed. Yeah, and my dad. And our one. Yes, your, your dad. Where, you, where, did you, every, where do you think everybody, you are? Everybody yeah. would be asleep. And I'd be <laughs> the only one awake. <laughs> hopefully so hopefully never, not our listeners today, though. It never really worked for me, the stories, <laughs> but I suppose they were quite good. Where did you get your, where did you get your, your talent for, for storytelling? I, I couldn't really tell you, I don't know, it's um, just I've had all these arts inside me for a, it just comes natural. Comes, just comes through the ether. Yeah, I, I used to make the stories up, that was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could have made a few up in this, but I don't think I have. You could, I mean, we still got time. Oh, <laughs> well, yes. Still got ten, well, I mean, yeah, we've got ten or fifteen minutes. So oh, yeah. well. There you are. I want to do as well as anybody else that's done the two hours. <laughs> I don't want to be a failure. Would you leave us with a story? A story? I wish I could make one up. No, I can't. Uh, I can't even remember the ones I told. Drummer boy, the drummer boy. Oh, that drummer boy. I, but I still don't remember them. You make them up on the spur of the moment. Yeah, you've got Just, to be in the right time to, and place. Uh, exactly, you've got to be in the, the mode. The mode, yeah. Aye. The storytelling and, and also, you know, you taught me maths. Oh, maths, I. Oh, You're good at maths oh, off the top of your head, aren't you? Yeah, English and maths. That's a rare twining of the two. You know, usually but, you get one or the other, don't you? But Well, I'm fortunate I'd be born with both. <laughs> <Aye>. <laughs> They put it mildly, uh, as quietly as I could possibly do it. Yeah. Uh, 
Excellent speller. Yeah. Spelling bee, you could end the spelling bee, you could. And crosswords. There's not many spellings. I can't. Because you always, you always told me, didn't you, to break down the word, that that was the key to spelling. Exactly. Into parts. That was weird. Whoever taught me English taught me well. But uh, going back to the golden days. <laughs> uh, some teachers were no, at school. You knew for a fact, like, well, in fact, most of them were in, quite a few were in hiding when they come to doing a subject. They would be waiting for a teacher entering and the, they never came for the whole of the lesson. So what I always remember there was one called Mr. Ramsey when I went to Jarrah Central School. He never used to turn up for a lesson, he used to teach science. We'd just all be chattering away and waiting as soon as the hour was up. We'd be out, you know? Never seen hiding a hair. The, the rumour was he was always drunk, like, you know, but I, I mean, I don't know, I couldn't ascertain that as a fact, but <laughs> that was a story. Uh, that was all sorts of little tittle tattle about different teachers. Mm. Yeah. Was that the local school here? No, this was at Jarrow. Jarrow. When I lived at Pilo. Pilo. So where's Pilo in relation to I went to, to Dilkey School first. Right, where's Pilo in relation to here? And well, it's... It's uh, close, not that far away. Closer to Newcastle? Well, it's in between South Shields. Yeah. And Newcastle. Ah, okay. More or less. Yeah, that, yeah. In that, in that vicinity. It's not that far away. But... Uh, that's where I used to play football. Um, I don't like to say too much, but I was quite good. <laughs> uh, I remember you got me in a magpie shirt early on. Yeah, well, yeah. You couldn't be. Tried to brainwash me. It was a proud moment for you. <laughs> I, unfortunately, I never got around to doing the job properly. But never mind. That's me, Team Newcastle. I was too, too far south, wasn't I, for a lot ah, of my childhood? Yeah, far too far south. You were gone. I didn't have time to cultivate you. Yeah. But never mind it. When I lost the How to Speak Geordie book, that was the end, really, wasn't oh, it? The beginning of the oh, end. Well, that just shows your interest. Losing the book. <laughs> yeah. Teach yourself Geordie. <laughs> You've got a few words up, but uh, you, you never really learned the art. You never know, I could come back. I could have a striking comeback. Aye, know? well, there's still hope. Still, there's still time. Aye. I'm at the beginning of my octogenarian journey. I, with a bit of luck, you might make an octogenarian. Octogenarian yourself. Well, it's been a pleasure to have the Geordie Scholar on here. Well, and, uh, uh, my name's Novice in Bloom. I didn't say it was a pleasure for me, but I will say very enlightening. Uh-huh. And uh, hope people are entertained. Yeah. Which you have, is, do you have any questions for me, Grandad, as we, the, as we finish? Questions? Yeah. Uh, 
I want the yellow record, record player dead. We'll finish on that, shall we? I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what, when I pick the records, I want to play it. <laughs> well, I mean, like yesterday, we, we said that this this song, you'd, you'd want it at your funeral. Oh, yeah. oh yes, this was my favourite. So when you're up in the up in the clouds... I know doubt about you'd look, it. Well, you'd look down and you'd be a happy man that we're playing... Uh, over the Rainbow by oh, Judy Garland. Yes. That is my favourite song. Well, we'll leave our listeners with that then, shall we? With, yeah. the, uh, with the gold of Over the Rainbow. Yeah. Good luck to Dr. Jerry. Then. <laughs> <laughs> Listening. Thank, thank you for being on the show, Grandad. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Nostalgia is best. Nostalgia uh, is best. Yeah. Nostos. A lovely song to end with, uh, which was my favourite. Well, there brings, we Brings a tear to me eye. Yeah, there we have it. Two hours. That's. Well, there you are. Good night, folks. Uh, couldn't have gone to two hours, one minute. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I love breaking records. <laughs> well, thank you, grandson. Pleasure. It's been an, another experience in my life. Another, another uh, feather to the. Oh yes, an experience. To the collection. Very delightful. All right. Good night. Good night.